Chapter Thirteen of Hints to Pilgrims. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Anita Sloma Martinez. Hints to Pilgrims by Charles Stephen Brooks. On dropping off to sleep. I sleep too well. That is, I go to sleep too soon. I am told that I pass a few minutes of troubled breathing, not vulgar snores, but a kind of uneasy ripple on the shore of wakefulness. Then I drift out with the silent tide. Doubtless I merit no sympathy for my perfection, and yet... Well, in the first place, lately we have had windy, moonlit nights, and as my bed sets at the edge of the sleeping porch, and the rail cuts off the earth... It is like a ride in an aeroplane to lie awake among the torn and ragged clouds. I have cast off the moorings of the sluggish world. Our garden with its flowering path, the coop for our neighbor's chickens, the apple tree, all have sunk from sight. The prow of my plane is pitched across the top of a waving poplar. Earth's harbor lights are at the stern. The Pleiades mark the channel to the open sky. I must hang out a lantern to fend me from the moon. I shall keep awake for fifteen minutes, I think. Perhaps I can recall Keats' sonnet to the night. When I behold upon the night's starred face huge cloudy symbols of a high romance, and those lines of Milton about the moon rising in clouded majesty unveiling her peerless light, here a star peeps out. Presently its companions will show themselves, and I shall know the constellation. Are they playing like little children at hide-and-seek? Do I catch Arcturus looking from its cover? Shall I shout high-spy to Alpha Lyra? A shooting star that has crouched behind a cloud runs home to the goal untagged. Surely these glistening worlds cannot be hard-fisted planets like our own, holding a close schedule across the sky. They have looted the shining treasure of the sunset. They sail the high fantastic seas like caravels blown from India. In the twilight they have lifted vagrant anchors, and they will moor in strange havens at the dawn. Are not these ragged clouds the garment of the night? Like the beggar maiden of an ancient tale, she runs with flying raiment. She unmasks her beauty when the world's asleep and the wind, like an eager prince upon his wooing, rides out of the stormy north, and then, poof, sleep draws its dark curtain across the glittering pageant. Presently I hear Annie, the cook, on the kitchen steps below, beating me up to breakfast. She sounds her unwelcome reveille on a tin pan with an iron spoon. Her first alarm I treat with indifference. It even weaves itself pleasantly into my dreams. I have been to a circus lately, let us say, and this racket seems to be the tom-tom of a sideshow where a thin gentleman swallows snakes. Nor does a second outburst stir me. She only tries the metal and practices for the later din. At the third alarm I rise, for now she nurses a mighty wrath. I must humor the angry creature, lest in her fury she push over a shelf of crockery. There is a cold jump for slippers, a chilly passage. 
i passed a week lately at a country hotel where there were a number of bad sleepers men broken by the cares of business but convalescent each morning as i dressed i heard them on the veranda outside my window exchanging their complaints well said one i slept three hours last night i wish i could said a second i never do said a third no matter how little sleep the first man allowed himself the second clipped off an hour the third man told the bells he had heard one and two and three and four both baptist and methodist and finished with his preceding competitor at least a half-hour down but always there was an old man an ancient man with flowing beard who waited until all were done and concluded the discussion just at the breakfast gong i never slept a wink this was the perfect score his was the golden cup whereupon the insomnious veranda hung its defeated head with shame and filed into the dining-room to be soothed and comforted with griddle cakes this daily contest recalled to me the story of the two men drowned in the dayton and johnstown floods who boasted to each other when they came to heaven has the story gone the rounds for a while they were the biggest lions among all the angels and harps hung untuned and neglected in their presence as often as they met in the windy portico of heaven one of these heroes falling to reminisce of the flood that drowned him lifted the swirling water of johnstown to the second floor the other hero not to be outdone drenched the dayton garrets the first was now compelled to submerge a chimney turn by turn they mounted in competition to the top of familiar steeples but always an old man sat by an ancient man with flowing beard who said fudge in a tone of great contempt must i continue surely you have guessed the end it was the old mariner himself it was the survivor of ararat it was noah once i myself among these bad sleepers on the veranda boasted that i had heard the bells at two o'clock but i was scorned as an unfledged novice in their high convention sleeping too well seems to argue that there is nothing on your mind your head it is asserted by the jealous is a vacancy that matches the empty spaces of the night it is as void as the untwinkling north if there has been a rummage they affirm of important matters all day above your ears it can hardly be checked at once by popping the tired head down upon a pillow these fizzing squibs of thought cannot be smothered in a blanket when one has planned a railroad or a revolution the mighty churning still progresses in the dark a dubious franchise must be gained villains must be pricked down for execution or bankers have come up from paraguay and one meditates from hour to hour on the sureness of the loan or perhaps an imperfect poem searches for a rhyme or the plot of a novel sticks it is the shell they say which is fetched from the stormy sea that roars all night my head alas by the evidence is a shell which is brought from a stagnant shore tired nature's sweet restorer balmy sleep sleep that knits up the raveled sleeve of care that is all very well and pretty poetry but i am afraid when everything is said that i am a sleepy-head i do not of course have to pinch myself at a business meeting at high noon i do not hear the lotus song 
I do not topple full of dreams off the platform of a streetcar. The sleepy poppy is not always at my nose. Nor do I yawn at dinner behind a napkin or doze in the firelight when there are guests about. My manners keep me from this boorishness. In an extremity, if they sit too late, I stir the fire or I put my head out of doors for the wind to waken me. I show a sudden anxiety whether the garage is locked. I pretend that the lawnmower is left outside or that the awnings are loose and flapping. But I do not dash out the lights when our guests are still upon the steps. I listen at the window until I hear their motor clear the corner. Then I turn furiously to my buttons. I kick off my shoes upon the staircase. Several of us were camping once in the woods north of Lake Superior. As we had no guides, we did all the work ourselves, and every one was of harder endurance than myself. Was it not Pippa who cried out, Mornings at seven? Seven! I look at her as being no better than a slugabed she should have had her dishes washed and been on her way by six our day began at five our tents had to be taken down our blankets and duffel packed we were regularly on the water an hour before pippa stirred a foot and then there were four or five hours of paddling perhaps in windy water and then a new camp was made our day matched the exertions of a travelling circus in default of expert knowledge i carried water cut browse for the beds and washed dishes little jobs of an unpleasant nature were found for me as often as i paused others did the showy light-fingered work i was housemaid and roused about from sunrise to weary sunset i was never allowed to rest nor was i permitted to flop the bacon which i consider an easy sedentary occupation i acquired unjustly let us agree in this a reputation for laziness because one day i sat for several hours in a blueberry patch when work was going forward and then one night when all labor seemed done and there was an hour of twilight i was asked to read aloud everyone settled himself for a feast of shakespeare's sonnets but it was my ill luck that i selected the sonnet that begins weary with toil i haste me to my bed a great shout went up a shout of derision that night i read no more i carried up six or eight pails of water from the spring and followed the sonneteer's example there are a great many books that i would like to read of a winter's evening if i could stay awake all of the histories certainly of fisk and Rhodes, perhaps I might even read The Four Horsemen, Trilby, and The Education of Henry Adams, so as not to be alone. It is snug by the fire, and the very wind taps on the window, as if it asked for invitation to share the hearth. I could compile a list, a five-foot shelf, for these nights of tempest. There is a writer in a Boston paper who tells us every week the books that he would like to read. His is a prospect rather than a review— for it is based on his anticipation. But does he ever read these books? Perhaps he, too, dozes. The book slips off his knee, and his chin drops to comfort on his front. Let me inform him that a wood-fire, if the logs are hardly dry, is a corrective. Its stability, as water oozes at the end, requires attendance every five minutes. Even Wardle's fat boy at Manor Farm could have lasted through the evening if the poker had been forced into his hands so often. I read, says Tennyson, 
before my eyelids dropped their shade and wasn't alice sitting with her book when she fell asleep and down the rabbit hole and so to bed writes peeps he too then is one of us i wonder if that phrase he who runs may read has not a deeper significance than lies upon the surface perhaps the prophet was it habakkuk who wrote the line it does not matter perhaps the bearded prophet had himself the sleepy habit and kept moving briskly for remedy around his study i can see him in dressing-gown and slippers with book in hand his whiskers veering in the wind quickening his lively pace around the kerosene lamp steering among the chairs stumbling across the cat in ambition i am a night-hawk i would like to sit late with books and reconstruct the forgotten world at midnight these bells that i hear now across the darkness are the mad bells of st bartholomew with that distant whistle a train on the b and o guy fox gathers his villains to light the fuse through my window from the night i hear the sounds of far-off wars and kingdoms falling and i would like also at least in theory to sit with a merry company of friends and let the canakin clink till dawn i would like to walk the streets of our crowded city and marvel at the windows to speculate on the thousand dramas that weave their webs in our common life here is mirth that shakes its sides when its neighbors sleep here is a hungry student whose ambition builds him rosy castles here is a light at a fevered pillow where hope burns dim on some fairy night i would wish to wander in the woods when there are dancing shadows and a moon here oberon holds state here titania sleeps i would cross a silver upland i would stand on a barren hilltop like the skipper of the world in its whirling voyage but these high accomplishments are beyond me habakkuk and the fat boy and alice and peeps and i and all the others must be content even the wet wood and the poker fail the very wind grows sleepy at the window our chins fall forward our books slip off our knees and now at last our buoyant bed floats among the stars i have cast off the moorings of the sluggish world earth's harbor lights are at the stern the pleiades mark the channel to the moon poof sleep draws again its dark curtain across the glittering pageant End of chapter 13